0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno. Dr. Reno is the editor at First Things, a journal of religion, culture, and public life. He has also served as a professor of theology at Creighton University. His theological work has been published in many academic journals. Essays and opinion pieces on religion, public life, contemporary culture, and current events have appeared in Commentary and The Washington Post. He's also the author of numerous books, including Fighting the Noonday Devil. This series explores numerous facets of faith and reason in the life of the church and the world. Grounded on the work of giants such as St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, Blessed John Newman, Blessed John Paul II, G.K. Chesterton, Blaise Pascal, and Stephen Barr, Dr. Reno helps us to open our minds to make the journey to our hearts. Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. It is quite a fascinating discussion when we talk about Christian apologetics, when we look at various teachers and thinkers who can guide us. And we've looked at some remarkable ones from St. Thomas Aquinas to Bonaventure and also the teachings of John Paul. There are those who can help guide us through this discussion of religion and faith that are with us today, of course, and one that you like to talk about, the work of Stephen Barr.
1: Yes, he's a physics uh, professor at the University of Delaware, a scientist of, of uh, some accomplishment who is a, is a man of great uh, personal faith, and, um, and he... He's important, I think, um, because he exemplifies or gives us a chance to kind of listen in to the reasoning and the thinking of an individual who is fully participating in, I guess what you could say is really the greatest success of modern culture, which is the scientific project. We're surrounded by the technological fruits of modern science and the wonderful accomplishments. And so, uh, so with... With Barr, we can kind of look and ask ourselves, is there something about science that creates a problem for the life of faith? A lot of people think that it does create a problem, and uh, whereas Barr gives us in this book, uh, Modern Physics and Ancient Faith, uh, a very readable, accessible um, uh, entry point into how a scientist thinks about how the actual practice and conclusions of modern science are surprisingly friendly to the theological convictions uh, of uh, of Catholics.
0: It's very important for Barr in the beginning of his work to introduce a paradigm of thought so that we can enter into the discussion. It is not so much a discussion about religion versus science, but he wants us to see it's more about religion versus materialism.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I often, when I'm teaching... Uh, so many students are science majors, wonderful, um, and they, they, uh, uh, they find it very helpful to read and think about this distinction. In other words, we can think about what science, how science trains us, how it trains us to think, how it trains us to, disciplines us to pay attention to data, how it uh, encourages us to provide kind of proofs for our uh, conclusions. Uh, how it requires us to submit our ideas to a uh, peer review. These are all the kind of qualities of scientific education that my students experience, and, and they feel empowered by it, very much so. Uh, yet, they're often told, or maybe it's maybe we don't tell them that so much as it's just part of the kind of popular culture that science is a, in an antagonistic relationship uh, with religion, but what Barr does is he says that, look, there's what scientists do and the conclusions they draw, and then there's a kind of a philosophy that's very much historically been an important part of the scientific movement. But they're different things. And so he distinguishes between science, natural sciences, and uh, what he calls scientific materialism. And this scientific materialism is uh, uh, involves a set of assumptions that... So, uh, so not, not just scientists, but oftentimes philosophers and, and so on assume that science uh, supports or assume that science requires in order to be um, a successful discipline. And he wants us to look at that and interrogate that uh, and ask ourselves: Is this really is this scientific materialism really a necessary consequence of science? And his answer is: this Is not. Um, and uh, and he, he goes into some detail to try to try to convince us. That that's not the case.
0: It'd probably be very helpful then to go back to how Saint Thomas Aquinas would pose a question and maybe put that in a format for Stephen Barr, wouldn't it?
1: Well, there are probably two ways. There's um, what I would call a kind of common sense way of putting it. He's really asking a question: Is the life of a scientist consistent with the life of faith? Kind of. A, that's a kind of classic question. I think that, like I said, I think any person in the modern world, at a university, go to university, should ask that question. That should be a question we should be asking ourselves. Is the life of faith consistent with the practice and discipline of being a modern scientist? I mean, I'm not a scientist, you're not a scientist, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that you and I support modern science as an intellectual project. So in some way, we're, we're on the team, so to speak. And are we doing the right thing by being on the team, supporting the team? So that's kind of a common sense way of putting it. Maybe a little bit more technical way of saying it is something like, you know, is the science of the natural world compatible with the science of theology? To use St. Thomas, because, you know, remember, scientia, that's his Latin term in the pre-modern world, scientia, or science, really means broadly rational thought. So is rational thought about the natural world consistent with rational thought about, the, about uh, uh, God's revelation?
0: So often when you hear a discussion between whether it's religion versus, say, scientific materialism in this case, for religions, science the book of Genesis is referred to, at least the creation of the world. Is, oh, yeah, that's that's the, considered the science, isn't it? Well, I mean,
1: that's often, that's the friction point. We, we get these um, situation in Kansas and, and creationism and so on. Uh, and, and that's where I think the popular view is that, of course, they conflict. I mean, my gosh, science tells us that the cosmos comes from these various, you know, cosmological processes that the scientists talk about, but the book of Genesis says it comes from God's creative word. I mean, doesn't that conflict? Or the book of Genesis says that um, God creates man and woman, but evolutionary theory says that man and woman come from a complex biological process that extends over millennia. So yes, I mean, on its face, it seems like they do conflict. Uh, with each other. And the typical strategy is to, what I, what I call is a kind of, you just sort of divide the two and separate them. You, know, you can't have conflict if they're separated. It's like your kids, you know. Your kids are in conflict. You send one to, uh, to his room and another one to his, uh, to his room. Mm-hmm. And that way the two brothers won't fight with each other. And we kind of do that, I think, instinctively. We say that, oh, well, science is a matter of the head and religion is a matter of the heart. Uh, science is a matter of thinking, religion is a matter of feeling, and that's like sending the two different rooms in our in our souls. It's a very dangerous strategy, though, because it winds up meaning that our intellectual lives have no are not influenced by faith, and our faith is not influenced by um, um, reason. And uh, as we saw with both St. Thomas and with John Paul II uh, and with Bonaventure, there's a strong commitment throughout the Christian tradition to the fruitful relationship and interaction between faith and reason. And to lose that compromises both faith and reason.
0: Barr would have us look at the natural sciences as opposed to trying to split them up into two different things. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, you could sort of say that, well, all right, we're not going to take the strategy of of sending to their separate rooms. We're going to have to figure out how they're going to get along, science and, and faith. And there are two approaches. One is you can examine faith and say, well, what is it about faith? Maybe we don't have a subtle enough view of the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Are we doing the wrong thing here? Are we reading it in the wrong way? And that's the work of, that's my job as a theologian to sort of sort of look at the Christian tradition, see that the nuances of the church's own interpretation of the book of, uh, of Genesis, bring that to bear maybe on these kinds of discussions. I certainly think that the Catholic tradition, well, I know that the Catholic tradition doesn't treat the first chapter of the book of genesis as a um, as a uh, a kind of uh recipe that God followed in a seven day sequence as far back as Saint. Augustine, he noticed that the sun and the moon and the stars were created on the fourth day, uh, but nonetheless that God creates light on the first day and two points: well, how can you have light without the sources of light? And then secondly, how can you have days without the sun and the moon and the stars? Because they mark the days. Mm-hmm. And so what St. Augustine realizes, well, that the whole way that this is presented to us, it's pretty clear we're not supposed to read um, the days as um, 24-hour periods of time. So the Catholic tradition I, I don't think ever has had, it's had a s- nuanced, supple enough understanding of the book of Genesis to work on that side. But that's not Bar's bailiwick. He's a scientist, a physicist, not a, not a theologian. and mm-hmm. So he wants to, instead of looking at the theology side, say, "We have we got a subtle enough view of theology? He wants to look at the science side and say, do we have a really subtle enough view of what science really does for us, what kind of activity it is? And that's where this key distinction between the philosophy and the practice comes into play. The practice and the theories of science are one thing, the kinds of philosophies we develop out of science are something quite different.
0: We'll return in just a moment to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas...
2: and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
0: We now return to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. Towards the end of the book, uh, uh, something that, just a point to consider, is that so many people consider religion to be make-believe. That when you talk about Genesis and the creation stories, that's just ev- further evidence here that this is all make-believe and it has no validity. And yet the same um, science thought that uh, that philosophy that would evolve from scientific discoveries philosophy is not incorporated in that mindset that would say religion is just make-believe they don't look at the religious aspect or the creation story what's the philosophy behind that where is that taking us the purpose of all that philosophy taken out of religion or the science it really deadens it doesn't
1: it there's a perennial problem i think we we um we appropriately in our lives try to epitomize or summarize what we take to be the essential features of our activities and our commitments, because otherwise it's kind of hard to talk about them, mm-hmm. because they're very complex and, and extensive. So we, we have a kind of cliche about our spouse, or we have we have a thumbnail sketch of what our children are like, uh, and that's perfectly fine. And we can look at science and say, oh, well, science is really basically this sort of thing, and we kind of carry that around in our hip pocket, if you will, to help organize our, our, our relations to other things. Um, But the danger is when you take that thumbnail sketch for the reality, you know, and you say, I say that, oh, my son, he likes to play computer games uh, and he's um, uh, kind of bookish or something like that. Well, what if I mean his personality is much more complicated than that? And what if he changes and I insist on keeping him in that little box that I've created for him? That's really kind of corrupts my relation to him as a real person. Um, so we can be we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful that with that, with respect to our faith, and also with respect to our uh, our our view of other important things like science. And so, when when we have this sort of view, like let's say that, um, you know, I mean the cheat, the church teaches with authority, undoubtedly, and, and so and and that for a Catholic you should um, you should give a uh, assent to the teachings of the church. But when we look more closely, we realize that the church itself teaches that there are different levels of authority uh, and different levels of teaching authority. And there's also ascent is an internal phenomenon uh, that is complex. And so what is true needs to be then examined more closely. So if we look at scientific materialism, uh, which is what Barr's description of the kind of philosophy that emerges out of modern science, scientific culture in the You know, from Galileo to uh, to to the 20th century, he wants to. He tells a story. Some nice, interesting information. But Galileo, when in Galileo's time, people thought one of the dominant views were that the heavenly bodies were made of different substance or material than the physical world of, of of the Earth. And he had a telescope, and he saw the craters on the moon, and he said that the moon was made out of the same stuff that the earth is made out of. Same matter, same material. And this is an important step forward in modern science. The, the, step, for, the step forward is the idea that we really can theorize about the planets uh, and we can connect our observations about this world with our observation about uh, the moon or Jupiter. It's not, there's not, it's not radically different. There's a common, there are common laws that when we throw the baseball and we watch the baseball uh, fall, right? It goes, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the baseball goes to the glove of your friend, but it also starts to go down. Why? Mm-hmm. Gravity. And, if we, and that, when Newton theorized uh, the elliptical orbits of the planets, they're basically doing the same thing. The planets are going straight, uh, but they're being pulled down, if you will, by the sun, uh, the gravity of the sun, just as the baseball is being pulled down by the gravity of the earth. And so what seems like completely different realities, throwing the baseball and the movement of the planets, I mean, how, how much more, how, how different could you imagine? We can, because we assume that it's made out of the same stuff, we can apply the same laws and see it. So this is an important advance. And um, the scientific materialist says, to, draws, draws, a, uh, draws an inference from this and says that in order for us to really make progress, we have to assume that there's nothing but this matter that is shared in common between the Earth and the Moon. Okay? And what that does is you could see how theoretically it's important to assume this kind of uniformity so you can ha- be justified in applying the laws of nature across all these different kinds of realities. Um, and so that's one of the f- signal features of materialism is that every, all there is is matter. Okay? Yeah. And this is an important element of it. Uh, so that's the materialist side of materialism. So you can see how that is very problematic for faith because we assume the existence of God. God is not material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, 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 that, and that this is very, or, or our souls are not material, at least not in the same way that, um, that the moon is material. So traditional Christian beliefs obviously come into conflict with this kind of materialist assumption. So that's one of the things that he wants to uh, uh, query. We're really justified in saying that everything is only made out of matter. And then the other side of scientific materialism is the science side. Uh, and here's the idea, basically, that uh, we should only believe things that we can prove or verify by way of experiment. Um, and, and this is a very powerful idea. That we find. So, the scientific side is kind of limiting us to what we can believe on the basis of kind of intellectual standards of proof. And the materialist side is limiting what we can believe by saying that the world is only made up of this kind of stuff. Uh, and so, scientific materialism winds up being a kind of constrictive view about what you can believe. Mm. And it clearly conflicts with uh, religious
0: faith. It's interesting. I don't know if I'm throwing a, a wrench into it, any of the discussion, but I'm reminded of Robert Bellarmine in his discussions with one of the friends of Galileo. He was overseeing Galileo's situation with the church and his discoveries, and Bellarmine was insisting, this is all theory. This may be the case, but I need to have proof. Otherwise, it's not a safe query you need to show me that this is actually true.
1: That I think, as I recall, that really has to do with the question about whether the earth revolves around the sun or mm-hmm. the sun around the earth. And Bellarmine, uh, uh, he inherited a view that was that put the earth at the center, um, and uh, which was actually not universal, I mean, um, but nonetheless. It wasn't clear what the right answer was. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Galileo didn't have enough information to, ha- to have a convincing proof that that the that, uh, heliocentric view, the sense that the sun is at the center, was the correct one. Uh, I mean, later um, experiments showed that that was clearly the case. And, of course, it's interesting the church then uh, gave up on the um, geocentric view, the view that the earth is at the center. And it, the church gave that up <clears throat> because, as Bellarmine knew, um, Uh, It was not a uh, revealed truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and, and it's interesting that I think we all find that accepting Newtonian physics, as I say, the idea that the planets revolve around the sun on the basis of the principle of gravity, just doesn't seem to have undermined people's ability to read the Bible in a coherent fashion or to affirm the teachings of the church. Uh, so it's a good example of what Barr is saying, is that here we have, wow, could you imagine a more revolutionary insight that what we thought was the center of the whole cosmos turned out to be not true? And then science has guided us to a very, very new insight. But yet it didn't affect, um, it didn't affect uh, uh, the teachings of the church at all. Uh, so that's a kind of a warning to us that we should be careful about presuming that really important radical new discoveries uh, turn everything upside down. It certainly turned the old science upside down, but it didn't seem to turn theology upside down, Galileo's discoveries.
0: The things that seem to turn upside down more frequently than I think even matters of faith are things in science. I mean, science is constantly challenging itself because of certain hell beliefs. I'm thinking of Einstein's theory of gravity, where it was just a given even a few years ago that gravity and the way that it works was a standard norm. But now with the understanding of quantum physics and right. uh, you know even how quarks work, that it, gravity falls apart now and it has turned it on its head.
1: That's a great insight. And I think that in all of these cases, uh, I think Barr is very good at showing there's... There's a, there's, a, there's a fallacy, it's called the fallacy of composition. And the fallacy of composition is, the, uh, is a fallacy that assumes that because some part of something is, has a certain kind of quality, that all of it has the same quality. So that the fact that my daughter's room is messy means that all of the rooms in our house are messy. But that's not true. Uh, so it's a fallacy to think, because you, you can reason from part to whole. So you can't compose a picture of the whole just on the basis of the part. It's a fallacy of composition. And one of the fallacies of composition, all all the basic problems of of scientific materialism revolve around the fallacy of composition. So the example you gave is really great. Science questions itself. Faith does not question itself. Therefore, faith and science are in conflict with each other. Uh, But that doesn't turn out to be true. Barr points out that one thing that science does not question is the intelligibility of everything. In other words, The scientist presumes that there is an explanation. It doesn't question that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It doesn't question the presumption that there is an explanation. Because if it did question that, it would lose heart. And and the difficulty of, of not knowing or the fact that we don't know would be explained because there is no explanation. We would say that, well, we can't know about... Uh, you know, uh, certain, how would you discover DNA? I mean, people would didn't know, and they just would have said, well, that's something that can't be known because not everything can be known. Um, So science has its own dogmas, so to speak, that it relies upon in order to uh, uh, sustain itself as a discipline. So that's a fallacy of composition. Just because science questions its theories doesn't mean that science questions everything. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's important just, and similarly with materialism, just because science presupposes that the things that it studies are all made of the same stuff, therefore everything is made of the same stuff, it doesn't follow. Or just because science bases some of its most important conclusions on the basis of experimental uh, uh, method doesn't mean that all truths are based on experimental method or have to be based on experimental method. So in each case, you you got to be careful reasoning from part to whole. And I think that's the kind of the gist of what Barr really does. I mean, in some detail, and it's really fascinating to tell kind of scientific theories that he's really good at explaining to people like you and me who don't have a lot of training in that area.
0: <laughs> just have to keep reading him to try to train your mind. Yes, exactly. Well, we're running out of time in this particular segment, Dr. Reno, but in our next segment, we're going to continue to take a look at the work of Stephen Barr and kind of reflect a bit on how that scientific materialism and religion, how they kind of play off of each other and take it some concrete examples like everything from the Big Bang to other examples of the discussions that we're entering into today. Do you have any final thoughts for this particular segment?
1: Well, I think it's important to recognize, I think that we engage in, in, in intellectual activities that the church teaches are intrinsically valuable Part of our dignity as human persons is our capacity to use our minds to, in a disciplined fashion, and that it also contributes to the life of faith. That's so important. But we should be careful and help and always distinguish between the activity and what people say the activity is. Mm. We should trust, I think, the laboratory. I trust the laboratory very much. I do not trust popularizers of science and philosophers who tell us what science really requires and does not require I think Barr just is so helpful there in helping us see the distinction that cher- so we can cherish the gift of modern science without getting hung up on uh, the supposed consequences of modern science.
0: Well, and again, for those who are listening, we're discussing the work of Stephen Barr in his book, Modern Physics and Ancient Faith. So if you want to tune in for next time, even more will be explored in this great work. Thank you, Dr. Reno. Pleasure. You've been listening to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno.